Hey everybody, we want to welcome you to a conversation that we've been having over the past six weeks uh, titled Six Habits of Healthy People. And some of you, maybe this is your first time joining in on this conversation. You may be live on Facebook or perhaps you're listening uh, weeks or months later on a podcast. We just want to say welcome. We are joined with some special guests here tonight, but I just want to lay a little bit of groundwork to the journey that we have been on. We began six weeks ago talking about identity and just discovering who we are. We've then pivoted from there to talking about respecting your body and then focusing on our purpose in life. Uh, we've been talking about finances, which was so fun and very helpful, relationships. And tonight we are ending, we are wrapping up on kind of a sensitive topic, some might call a hot button topic, but we're talking about guarding your purity and we're just coming off a tremendous message uh, this past Sunday by Jeremy McDonald, uh, who unpacked this conversation that I'm going to introduce to you in just a few minutes, um, some of our guests that, um, that have just seen the impacts um, when it comes to the conversation around sexuality and sex and the impact that it's having on our culture. And we have some experts that, you know what, the reality is, is uh, as a church, sometimes we, um, you know, we probably shy away from some of these conversations. Um, but you know what? We want to be able to lean into this and offer some hope and encouragement and some direction for people that are looking for help tonight. So uh, with that being said, I want to introduce, first of all, uh, my friend Jeremy McDonald. Uh, Jeremy, do you want to just share a little bit about what you do and, uh, you know, just kind of your personal uh, passion around this topic? Yeah, sure thing. So, hey, I'm Jeremy. Uh, I've grown up here in Moncton and uh, grew up at this church, actually, which is so fun. I was actually the youth pastor here for a stretch. And uh, most recently, my family and I just moved back from Ontario. And I work with an organization that actually works alongside of youth ministries in, uh, in churches and in cities and in other organizations across our country of Canada. And so thinking about the faith of the next generation is something that is, uh, is a daily occurrence for me. So it's uh, been a lot of fun being a part of the team here at Moncton Wesleyan when it comes to the teaching, the yes. teaching team. Uh, that's a fun little thing to do on the side and uh, be a part of things. And uh, this topic in particular has been important for me because uh, not only am I uh, a, a guy that has grown up in church world and thinking about these kinds of topics and wrestling with this as an issue personally, but on top of that, have helped with hundreds of teenagers and yeah. realizing that the implications of this kind of topic uh, has dramatic impacts well yeah. beyond uh, the end user, but it has a, an impact on uh, the lives of people beyond, uh, you know, into the future, yeah. on families, on future families, on future relationships. And so uh, we do our best to try to be honest about this kind of topic. Absolutely. So important. And some of you may have caught Jeremy's message. Um, so we want to invite you to maybe you have questions that may have come from the conversation on Sunday that you spoke. So you can put those in the chat right now. We welcome your questions and we're going to do our best to get to uh, those. But next, I want to uh, also introduce to you uh, Mireille. Uh, Mireille, welcome. Uh, could you just tell everybody a little bit about uh, who you are and, and what you do here in the community? Hi, so I'm Mireille. Um, I've been happily married for five years to Miles, and I work for Harvest House Atlantic. I actually did a position kind of like fundraising for a little while, and I just recently transitioned into the Women's Addiction Recovery. And so I work night shifts and I love every single girl in that program. 
and I'm really proud of them. And I also lead Celebrate Recovery with Dorothy Gadet. Um, love Celebrate Recovery. Um, it's really helped me personally. And yeah, so that's a little bit about me. And I did grow up uh, attending Moncton Wesleyan. Awesome. So good to have you, Mireille. Uh, next, we have Elaine. Elaine, uh, welcome. And could you just tell everybody who's watching uh, a little bit about the work that you do, the all-important work that you uh, do right here in, in our community. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Elaine, and I am a social worker at the Moncton Hospital with the Women and Children's Program. And um, it is an amazing job, and I meet very many amazing people. Um, and I also volunteer with Community of Hope, which is an agency um, that helps people who are being sex trafficked um, to exit sex trafficking and anyone who wants to leave the sex trade to um, help and guide them um, on that journey. Awesome. Such important work. And I look forward to hearing the, the stories um, that are happening right here in our community that I think for the most part um, go left unspoken. And uh, so with that, uh, let's just jump right into our first question tonight, guys. And um, again, uh, we're coming here not giving our own opinions, but we are here to be able to talk about what I think Scripture and what the Bible is very clear on when it comes to sex, sexuality, and the conversations that we're going to have. And, and so uh, let's just jump right into this. Um, this first question is, why would anyone choose Christianity? You know, when it comes to sex and sexuality, Christianity seems rigid it seems strange and weird and unnecessary to only have sex outside of marriage. To only have sex inside of inside marriage. Inside of marriage. Yeah. There we go, Jeremy. <laughs> inside of marriage. Foreign clarification yeah. for anybody that is wondering. <laughs> so good to have you with us, Jeremy, to keep us on track already. Um, but people would say, why choose this lifestyle of Christianity? And Jeremy, since you um, corrected me <laughs> yeah. on that, um, why, do, why do you answer that for people who struggle? Because there's this idea of we should be able to do whatever we think uh, feels right. Sure, and yeah. Christianity pushes back against that. Yeah, you, you know, it's interesting. I think the, the Christian sexual ethic is worth uh, dis discovering. So it's not just that it's like uh, we're not presuming even in this moment that we could uh, say that everybody has the exact same uh, understanding of the Christian sexual right. ethic. But there is clearly from Scripture, as we determined on Sunday— a real vested interest throughout the scriptures from Jesus uh, to the Apostle Paul to all sorts of different writers that our sexuality, the way we express ourselves in this way is actually critical and, and plays an important part in, in how God's wired us and, and, and in particular what he's calling us to. So, so discovering the Christian sexual ethic is, is a value. But as you discover that, certainly there's lots of folks that are like, yeah, but I don't want anybody to control what I do. I don't want anybody to speak and, and, you know, give me guidance on this particular issue. I just want to do, as you kind of said, um, hey, whatever feels right. Now, the truth is, is that we all recognize and know that nobody really lives on just a pleasure first policy. Um, we all determine that there are lots of things in our life that we delay gratification on. Uh, in order to get the better gratification, to, to delay what we may want to do in order to get what we really want uh, in the end. And so uh, my simple example, which is not a hot button topic, is my love for Big Macs. And so, like, if I was to have my way, yeah. I would just eat Big Macs all the time for a meal because I actually really love them. Yeah. But I 
delay and and choose not to obviously access that because I'm recognizing there's a bigger plan of play. Now that's just a funny, silly sure. example. The stakes are high when yeah. it comes to somebody's sexuality, and so we would say there's a combination here of uh, of actual guidance that God gives us that you can discover and find is empirically more helpful. Um, so when it comes to your sexual intimacy, the guidance that you find in Scripture. Um, actually does lead to better outcomes on all sorts of different metrics. Societal metrics, uh, personal health metrics, personal pleasure and happiness metrics over the long haul. If you follow a a biblical sexual ethic, you actually experience all sorts of good things in your life, uh, which is great. And so because of that, it's actually even easier for us to advocate for that. Now, with that being said, as somebody who has chosen to follow Jesus, you know, if Jesus said, you know, stand on your right foot and, uh, and just stand there for an hour, I would want to do it because of who he is and, and he's the Lord of my life. Uh, so there are definitely times in Scripture and in times in our lives where you may choose to do something because God calls you to it, right. not necessarily recognizing and knowing when there would be a reward for that or when there would be, you know, compensation for that. And so we don't want to say that we only follow the Bible when it is good for us, which it is around the topic of sexuality. Um, sometimes we do it because God calls us right. to it. So out of obedience. Obedience, yeah. Yeah. Which uh, Long again. answer to a short question. <laughs> so good. Um, Mide, I want to just, uh, just give you a, an opportunity if you want to add to this, but why would somebody want to choose this lifestyle of Christianity knowing that it kind of goes against kind of what popular culture says that you can just do whatever you feel like doing? I think... <clears throat> People don't want to feel lonely. And so if someone hasn't experienced uh, the love of God, they haven't experienced his presence, uh, I think the closest thing they experience to feeling special is romantic love. And they want what they see in the movies. Um, They want, you know, someone to pursue them. And when it comes to Christianity, from my own experience and people who have really experienced God's love and really understood how much he loves them, it's worth it. You know, when yeah. when you stop relying on relationship with others to make you feel better about your relationship with yourself, um, it's worth it. It's way more fulfilling. Like Jesus yeah. said he wants to give us life to the fullest. He didn't say he wants to restrict us from a full life. Sure. And so I think asking ourselves the question, like, why would Jesus tell us these things? You know, why would why would God have this plan for us? I think taking time to to ask those questions and seeking, you know, saying, God, do you really love me? And if so, can you show me? I think once someone experiences that, and until they experience that, they'll they'll rely on romantic love to feel special. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've always been passionate about uh, making sure that students knew that there was another option. There was another option than what culture was telling them to do. Uh, Elaine, do you have anything that you want to add uh, to this question? Why would somebody want to choose uh, this lifestyle of Christianity when they can just do what they want to do? I agree with Mireille, and I think there's a lot of misunderstanding about the Bible, and they see it more as legalism and rules they have to follow rather than full of wisdom and love and grace because of the love that God has for us. And without that relationship with him or knowing or understanding that, um, that brings meaning and um, trust to the wisdom that is there. Yeah, that's that's so, so good. Uh, let's jump into uh, another question here. Uh, many uh, popular TV shows, Jeremy, I don't know how much uh, TV uh, you watch, 
uh, how many shows, what, what, what your favorite shows are, but, um, they make That's reference. Right. This is a friendly way to get into this question. Yeah, they make reference <laughs> <laughs> and jokes. Uh, here we go uh, about pornography. Yeah, sure. Okay, a yeah. lot of jokes. Uh, yeah. And again, even in in social conversations that that we have, uh, people make light of this. Yeah. Okay. Um, so Fr- why friends is the I almost almost honestly quoted friends in my message because uh, I, there's this whole scene with uh, this whole episode with Joey and Chandler um, discovering free porn. And it being like the, right. the crux of yeah. the comedy and the episode was they didn't want to turn off this free porn because yeah. they had access to it. And so, uh, and that, I mean, that was a, a, a while back, but obviously there's any number of shows just talking about this. And then there's any number of shows that actually have pornographic content inside of the, 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 the series. So, yeah. Absolutely. And, and a lot of our viewers that are watching, um, you know, almost on a daily basis, there are jokes uh, oh, yeah. made about um, the topic of pornography and, and, and made light of it. So given that, um, why does society treat pornography as mainstream? Why do they treat it as, as just being normal? And uh, Mireille, uh, I'm going uh, to jump to you first on, on this question. Um, what, what would you say about that? Why does it seem normal now? It's normalized to be able to talk about this, make light of it. Uh, when it came to this question, you know, I, I don't know. Um, I, I, th- I think, I don't know. I think it's easier to, to like, when we make jokes about things, it's kind of, it makes it a more easier to ignore talking about the subject. Sure. Like, when you make a joke, you're not talking about, is it affecting me? You're not talking about, is it affecting my marriage? Right. Is it just my relationship with you know, the opposite sex, uh, I think when we joke about, you know, those kind of things, it makes it, I don't know, easier just to pass over it. Sure. Almost, uh, there's almost an ignorance to it that I don't think people realize the impact that it's having on real people's lives. And Can I, can I ask a question even to Elaine in a, in a bit of a different way? Because uh, I'm intrigued by this. Elaine, as a social worker, you would deal with people's trauma, I'm assuming, quite a bit. And this would be something that I'm guessing, you know, you're well-versed in. Yeah. Um, how much does it, uh, how, how many times do you find that sometimes when people are faced with a challenge in their life, so we think about pornography as being like, uh, like a, something that is bad, something that's awful, something that actually moves in the wrong direction. Um, how, how often do you find that people use, like make light of those types of things in order to not come face to face with the reality of the destruction might be having in their life? Is that, is that a thing or is that not a thing? Am I off base? <laughs> Are you talking about denial? <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Yeah, like it, like here's something that you know. I, again, we were going to say like pornography would be a, a, a traumatic kind of thing that makes massive changes in your life. Do you notice that when people have trauma in their life, that denying it is a, a way of trying to coping with it? Absolutely. Yeah, um, trying to uh, deny or um, ignoring it or putting it to the side and they don't have to admit it or they don't have to deal with it. And sometimes they might actually not recognize it or they're just so overwhelmed with everything else that they don't have the energy or the time to deal with it, or they don't have the supports, um, or they're believing into lies that or other messages that they're being told by other people in mainstream society. Mm. Yep. Yep. No, that's a great answer. Uh, Jeremy, I want to I want to toss this question to you because again, coming right off of your message on Sunday, I think this fits right in that that porn is nothing new. Okay, it's been around a long time. All right, 
but it seems to be gaining more awareness and headlines. Why do you think that is? When you mean when you say more awareness and headlines, what do you mean? Like, well, I think that I mean you even alluded to it in your message um, with the Pornhub. And, oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, people are I think realizing the injustice of what's happening here. Yeah. You know, so so just maybe talk a little bit why you think that is. Boy, that's a good question. Well, I think uh, I think kind of two things are happening. So there is this massive increase in accessibility of pornography. So we think about um, the internet, obviously, put uh, access to pornography on everybody's smartphones, on everybody's computer. Like you're instantly a click yeah. away, a, a search away from it. So because of that, the rate of access has gone sky high. So then we see the rate of addiction to it has gone much higher. Um, the the intensity of the addictions go a lot higher because of the ability to access a number of different forms of mm -hmm. pornography so so there's that portion of it and because of that we're seeing the detrimental effects as it pertains to um i think things like trafficking things like um, sexual exploitation things like um you know men in particular because it's usually men uh taking their fantasies and then turning them into these perversions that actually uh, harm the, pe the people around them and so that's happening simultaneously as as a culture i think we're becoming more tuned into the injustices that we right. see around us and and that's a really good thing. So we start to recognize, man, if not if everybody isn't safe in our in our in, in the city of Moncton, if not everybody is safe, then we have an issue as citizens of the city of Moncton. So we should take note of this. And it feels like this is starting to elevate in the conversation. And we see this a little bit in the news, in the way that we talk about um, injustices that right. happen around us. And so this particular issue, hopefully, what can happen, and this is where I'm, I would love Elaine's perspective, <clears throat> is as we're recognizing the how trafficking is happening right under our noses, how people are being um, really harmed by uh, like the exploitation that's happening, uh, you know, in in Moncton, that we can start connecting the dots to some of these root causes and not just deal with the uh, initial thing, but actually go upstream yeah. and try to help change a bit that's of what's so happening in our culture. Yeah, Jeremy, just while we're on this a little bit, can you just share? Um, I think that the age that that uh, kids are being exposed to pornography. I think that the statistics are showing that that is getting younger and younger. What what was that age where where people are getting their first exposure to that? Yeah. So and this goes back and forth. It depends on the the, the organization that you look to. Fight the New Drug is a, is a, a U.S. based uh, non legislative uh, nonprofit that uh, helps kind of source some of these things. And so um, there, one of the stats that they had referenced uh, was age eleven is the average age average age of okay. first exposure. So you okay. get still get kids a lot younger. Uh, you got kids that are a little bit older, but average age sits at around 11. And uh, and what we're recognizing is that because of the devices that are in our homes that yeah. our kids are holding on to, the accessibility is so high. So, And I don't know if we'll get into this, but one of the things that um, Defend Dignity, which is a Canadian organization that advocates for reform around okay. these kinds of topics, um, has talked about like actual legislation, writing legislation around age verification for something like pornography, that if you're going to access it, you should have to scan your um, driver's license and let the host of the site that you're accessing know that you're of age, legal age, right. to actually access this. Yeah. Now, somebody in the chat, correct me if I'm wrong, um, I think if you want to buy a lottery ticket, you have to upload your driver's license. I think that's right. So somebody correct me and yeah. tell me if I'm wrong. I'm not sure. But Jeremy... But I the reason I say the, that thing is that it's not un unnatural right. for us to verify our age yeah this is something that should be done right away right. because it's destroying our kids yeah that they're able to access it without anybody 
I, I'm not sure if this is accurate and somebody can also uh, correct us, but I think maybe years ago when you could buy uh, magazines at the store, porn, uh, you had to produce ID, I think, to verify even your age and anyway. And so, Presumably. and so, yeah, there's a uh, somebody that works at a convenience store that sells pornography. Also, tell us in the chat. I think it's still true. I think if you yeah. if you buy a, a Playboy magazine, uh, that you have to produce ID yeah. to, to purchase yeah. it. So, um, yeah, I think that would be uh, a great direction to, to begin. But Elaine, can you uh, speak to this? Do you have anything to add um, on why we're seeing this trend of, of it gaining more awareness in, in, in our culture today? I think um, I think you're right. It's more accessible with the Internet. I also think that sex sells. And so it's sexy and people, the media uh, want to portray it. They want to get more attention. Um, the problem with the problem with pornography and the problem with the media can have uh, be very beneficial. But when you combine media and promotion of pornography, it impacts us because society in general gets our values and our, our ideas from what's on the media and what we're repeatedly told and how we're told it. And if the messaging um, around pornography and that it's, oh, it's mainstream and it's okay, and what is the messages from pornography that we're receiving and how does it portray women? How does it portray in the relationships? Um, you know, it portrays them as... Um, as commodities and that they're for sale and that women want to have sex anytime, anywhere, um, and that they enjoy all sexual acts that men want to do no matter what. It really dehumanizes, and I say women, but it dehumanizes anybody that's trafficked. That can be men, that can be um, other genders as, and identities as well. But um, most of the people I have spoken to are women, so that's the term that I will probably mostly use this evening. Yeah. Um, so that's really scary when those are values that, that, um, that we start to accept and it kind of leads the gateway and the linkage to that sex trafficking. It's okay. Yeah. It's yeah. also used as a tool to break down, um, women's spirits. And there's even a manual out there on, uh, how for, uh, Johns on how to, um, how to recruit and then how to break the spirit and how to break down someone to be so vulnerable that they've feel they can't exit sex trafficking yeah i i think that's great i think it's it's good for us to remember that um that it doesn't start out this way right and jeremy again going back to your message you talked about stories of of teenage girls you know 12 years old uh that were asked to to take uh you know nude pictures and send it to their boyfriend and how that impacted them um the course of their life it it immediately uh, led to um, all kinds of problems. And so let's talk a little bit about that. Um, and that's obviously a trend that we're seeing, that that's, um, we're seeing students get caught up in that. And, and it seems, uh, you know, it, it doesn't seem like, um, you know, they don't see where it's going to lead them to. Uh, but we're hearing stories um, that, you know, people are taking their life because of that one decision. And so I think that, again, students are being exposed to something and it's changing, um, you know, expectation that boys are having, um, you know, girls feeling like they've got to live up to, again, some sort of expectation that's being put on them. And it's, it's just so dangerous. Um, 
you know, Jeremy, do you want to add anything? Uh, again, I know that you spoke to a little bit about in your message. Yeah, I, I, well, I, I just I appreciate Elaine your your insight because I know that you you wrestle and deal with this and you see the issues that um, that even spark that are that not spark but that you see the issues that maybe are at the early stages of the path that somebody walks where where eventually a john can convince them of uh you know jumping into this as, as something to do with their life and it's just so awful and so atrocious and yet if we take a few steps back you know we might discover that there are things that we can help and and have conversations about with you know kids as when they're five six and seven and kids when they're 10 11 12 that can at least start to help shape a worldview that protects more so against um, these types of things. And it goes beyond conversations. It includes yeah. support. It includes, you know, there's obviously massive issues about poverty in the midst of all of this kind of stuff. Um, but beyond that, I think, you know, Pat, you had mentioned about, um, or sorry, Elaine, you had mentioned about the dehuman dehumanization um, of something like pornography and the way that, uh, that women see themselves in it. I would say as well um, that men are dehumanized in the sense that they learn uh, in accessing pornography, that the way to be masculine is a specific way. And it's actually an incredibly awful dehumanizing way that uh, biblical manhood, biblical, the call of God on the lives of men is, is fairly specific and it's fairly clear. And, it's, and it, is a, it is a bit of a, an identity of being willing to fight and to be strong and to be courageous, but it's to be strong and courageous and to fight against injustice right. and to, to help those that can't help themselves and to give of yourself for the sake of the other. And then what we learn as we you know, access pornography is that, oh, the identity of men is just to experience the pleasure uh, at the cost of whoever's around them. Yeah. And, and so there's this demonizing, but it, it ends up positioning men into this awful place of uh, where they, they should never be as, as a human being but as somebody that just wants to express power around the people yeah. Uh, yeah. around them. So it goes, it goes both ways, but the victims continue to be women in the, in the, the whole mess yeah. of it. And maybe this is a good place where we can sort of pivot um, and, and where we can all kind of contribute here, but like what tips, what resources um, could we be giving to, you know, to parents that, you know, their, their young teenager has a, a you know, a device, you know, what are some precautions that, that we can help them with to be able to yeah, either um, prevent, put some restrictions on, or how can we have conversations um, and normalize this conversation and make them aware of, of some of the dangers? And so, um, Elena or Elaine, do you want to uh, speak to that? Well, um, really what's coming on my mind that I would really like to share for, for tips and um with parents and any youth that might be out there is more about uh, the boyfriend technique of sex trafficking, um, if I may, just for briefly. And it's it's how uh, the use of pornography uh, can be used, as I mentioned earlier, about breaking down the spirit. And so the boyfriend technique, it, it, it is happening and it is a problem in Canada, in Nova Scotia, in New Brunswick, in Moncton. It's here. It's something that's not talked about very often. Um, Basically, um, someone can in, uh, entice somebody into a romantic relationship and be boyfriend and girlfriend, but then there are certain signs that you can be aware of. Um, the, the person will try to isolate them, cut them off from all their friends, from their family. They will make big promises, buy them fancy, just romance yeah. them, buy them fancy um, 
expensive gifts and then gradually um, help them um, break down and, and the use of pornography or introducing pornography can be part of that. Um, inviting them to parties, introducing drugs and alcohol, and then um, saying, well, you, I need some money. I don't have any money. Will you just sleep with this one person? And then that will mm -hmm. get us money. And then we can move away and have our own place and live this promise that they do. And then continually introduce them um, into uh, this unhealthy pattern. And even um, the the manual even breaks it down to so much as, okay, once the, um, if you're having too much sex with her, stop, um, and then reward her with, um, a reward after so that, um, after she's having sex so that she can associate, um, it as a good thing and then do hair, do nails, and then increase and change the type of sex, uh, make it rough and, um, uh, to break her spirit and break her down and then pull away from her so that she'll want you more and want the boyfriend more. And, and this person really believes that this man is their boyfriend and that they, they really want to do um, what they can to help the relationship. And then it, and then it brings in more addictions and shame and um, guilt and the difficulty of returning back to their safety net and their friends and family. Does that make Wow. Well, it, it, it's definitely I'm heartbreaking, clear. and uh, for anybody that's watching that that has children, um, you know, uh, can't even imagine, you know, uh, this being somebody's daughter, and uh, mm -hmm. and, and what this causes. Um, so, uh, thanks for you know for for sharing that. Um, I think again, it, it just sometimes it's it's a hard reality that some people don't realize of what is happening. Uh, right here in, in our neighborhoods and in our community. Uh, Mireille, uh, could you uh, speak to um, what are some things that you have seen that, um, that have helped, you know, as far as restrictions, precautions, and, and how you coach and, and help people that have addictions? Yeah, I think a few things is share your secrets as much as you can with people you trust. Um, they'll have less power over you. Um, and, oh, I forgot what I was going to say. I think that, it's that's a powerful one yeah, statement there that I just don't want to lose. That's yeah. great. Yeah, stop there. Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. Mire, share your secrets. Yeah. Like, gosh, there are people listening right now. Yeah. There are people on the, you know, in the chat, there's people that will download this podcast. They're like, yeah, 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 but you don't know my secret. Yeah. Like, I can't share that secret. It's yeah. not, it's not a bad secret. It's not that bad. And it's not, you know, it's just going to hurt people if I tell it. So what and do you mean? What do you mean? Share your secret? I, I think like, I think parents we need to like stop trying to be a perfect parent. Um, your kids don't need to see the best part of you all the time. And so share with them your struggles. You know, I think that'll be hard for parents too. Yeah. You know, sharing what you've struggled with when it comes to sexual addictions. Um, and I think if parents can be honest with their kids, you know, you might think it's going to be awkward, um, but it only be awkward if, if you are guilty and shameful about yeah. it. And so, you know, I've had a lot of, I have a lot of friends who have sons and when they're like the ones that are really close to me, I'm like, Hey, if you ever struggle with pornography, you can come talk to me about it. Or you can, you know, first talk to miles, but, uh, you can talk to me about it. You know, I, I won't judge you. You're not the only one. If you struggle with, 
And I think just saying that over and over, like, and if you're someone who struggles with any kind of sexual addiction at all, share mm-hmm. your secrets with someone who's shared the same. If you've heard someone yeah. share it, uh, the more you share your secrets, the more chances yeah. you can overcome them. Yeah. No, that's so good. And I think it works both ways where um, we can't be silent as parents. Uh, if we're dealing with a young person that's struggling in this on either side of it, uh, to be able to, to look for help to, again, maybe reach out to a church or to a Christian counselor. Um, there are resources and there's, there's people like Elaine that can help. And then I think as far as students, just normalizing the conversation. Um, and I think that, you know, if there's one thing that I could give um, to parents, especially raising young children, is almost daily or weekly, there's opportunities for us to be able to have uh, just normal, meaningful conversations around uh, sex and sexuality and pornography. uh, Because, again, we know that kids are being exposed to this at 11 years old. And I don't know, but as a dad, I want to be able to have that conversation with them first. All right. And we want to be able to make it completely, uh, you know, a comfortable conversation so that they can come home and talk to me and be like, I heard this word or I heard my friends talking about this. Like, Dad, tell me what that is. I want to be able to have that conversation with them. And I think that's that's completely important so that we don't silence it. And I think that, again, uh, that's why we're having this conversation as a church, because we want to expose it. We want to expose um, what, you know, the scripture talks about, you know, the enemy has come to steal, kill, and destroy. You know, destroy relationships, families, uh, you know, the plans and calls of God on our lives is, is ultimately what he's here to do. Um, and so we want to be able to uh, open that up and be able to have a conversation and offer help to people. So... It, it makes me think, uh, as Mudra was sharing that, uh, we have uh, Celebrate Recovery, which is a 12-step program, actually, uh, based out of here at the church. And so you're welcome to access that. But uh, the best way, is if you, even if you need to connect to there, um, is you can actually text uh, right now, uh, wherever you're at, text support to uh, the number that you see on the screen. I'll read it off for anybody that's on podcast. It's 506-406-4400 and not text support, text change yes. uh, as I'm reading that off the screen. But um, because as you know, sharing your secrets is one of the means of actually finding freedom from the things that might be gripping you. Uh, it may be really intense to think about sharing your secrets with somebody near you because you don't know how it's going to affect them and how you're mm-hmm. supposed to respond. So a great way is to start with a conversation with a counselor, start with a support group, which this particular group certainly can be that for you, to have a place where you can share freely and then learn how to take steps from there. And so- like practically, like you don't have to, like if you can't handle sharing it with someone, even writing it down and giving it anonymously, to, you know, uh, uh, like, a, you know, you could email a pastor or you could mail it to a pastor and ask them to pray for it. If you really can't handle sharing it, start by writing it down and sending it anonymously to a, ch- a church or a pastor. You know, I went to Wesleyan just saying, you know, I can't, I don't want to share who I am yet, but I just want to share this with you because I haven't been able to. And just go from there, small steps. Mm-hmm. I have to do it all at once. Yeah. Uh, Pat, you had started uh, asked a question. Um, earlier that kind of led us down this road and, and Elaine had talked a bit about the uh, like these extreme examples, which although they're extreme, <laughs> yeah. they're, they're still present in our community of a John of, of, of a guy who's grooming this woman to be um, trafficked. And so that's extreme. And in some ways, sometimes, you know, you can hear those stories and think, 
oh my goodness, I'm glad that, you know, I'm not going to be in that situation or I'm glad that my kids wouldn't end up there. But the problem with that kind of sentiment and that kind of othering of like setting these folks out as others that you miss the fact that oftentimes we're complicit in the system that allows those things to still happen. Um, that, that that guy, so as, as I'm super glad for Mireille and for Elaine being able to care for the women in those situations, but I get really frustrated at who failed that guy that right. isn't calling him out mm -hmm. and isn't calling him to a higher standard and who isn't being the guy that saddles alongside of him and says, man, you got to get your act together because this is wrong. And so uh, there's, there's a, a space for us even personally to then recognize, okay, but what in my own life is a part of that system? And that's why we talked about pornography yeah. because our, uh, you know, you, whoever you're listening, wherever you're listening, wherever you're, you know, wherever you're at, the ways that you might access something like uh, a porn off of a simple porn site contributes to a society and a culture that allows for those kinds of things to happen. And so we want to clean up our own rooms. We want to start, you know, in our own hearts. We want to find repentance for the things that we need to own in the midst of this. And then from there, find ways for us then to start to kick at the darkness yeah. until it bleeds yeah. light. Yeah, no, that's that's so good, Jeremy. Uh, let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, I, going back to statistics in, in how many men struggle with pornography. All right. With that, there is so much shame and guilt. Yeah. All right. That uh, that keeps and women us. too struggle. Sorry. Yeah. So let's make sure we make yeah, it clear. Fair. And and we reference the stat on Sunday, but the truth is is that there's a mix in reporting because um, sometimes the the way that women access pornography is different than traditional videos on porn sites. A lot of women still access that, yeah. but but there's a disparity a bit on the, even the reporting and feel, feeling comfortable to yeah. admit. Yeah. And so when it comes to shame and guilt. Mm -hmm. All right, uh, Mere, we'll toss to you, but um, how do you help people deal with that? Or what would you say to somebody that's embarrassed um, because of where they're at right now? You know, this addiction that, that uh, has control of their life. What, how would you counsel somebody with that? Yeah, so specifically to women, um, when I've shared my own struggles, the amount of women that, automatically come to me Christian women and share their struggles <clears throat> some of them have held you know that secret for 20 30 40 years mm -hmm. I can tell you that uh there are way more women probably yeah. 60 to 70 percent who have or are struggling with some kind of sexual addiction sure. and I at the the fact that it's so it, like when it comes to women, like those surveys, I don't even think they're probably accurate because the, like to admit it as a woman, because it's not talked about. It's right. not joked about at all, even in movies, women. Um, it's like, the and it's like this cycle. It's like the women will try to find an addiction that they can keep as secret as possible and they'll never share it. And they just can't. And if that's you, and you want to hear my story, you can message me on Facebook and I can tell you all the details of mine. And maybe it'll encourage you to even just open up a little bit. Yeah. Um, because if, if we had a group sexual addiction for women at CR and people would go in, let's say they could go in and the memory was wiped after that room would be packed. That room would be packed of women. Wow. Uh, because there, there's so much shame in going into that room, knowing other people will see them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I hope we can get to a point like that kind of point in the future 
Um, but if we had that group and it was anonymous and no one yeah. could see them, yeah. it would be filled. What would you say, Mireille, you're not that far removed from university. What was that experience like uh, for you going through university? And, um, you know, did you hear experiences and stories of people that are struggling? Yeah, like I could, I had a hard time sharing anything that I had struggled with. Um, no one knew and I, I couldn't even dare to share it. And I shared it maybe just... A couple of times, but I would like beat it around the bush. Like mm-hmm. I wouldn't actually like share the details. I would just say like, oh, it's a bit of a struggle, but I wouldn't actually share how serious and how much power it had over me. Mm-hmm. And for, I and But whenever I would share, then like what, like girls from campus would come to me and then they would share about maybe another girl they've heard and yeah. then another girl. And yeah. it was, it's so much more common and so if you're a woman and you're watching this, it is extremely common. Yeah. Um, it's not uncommon. And I, I'm hoping that it could become something we talk about more. But yeah, they would come to me crying and they can't even get the words out, but I know what they want to share. Yeah. And so I would just say, you know, is it because of what I just shared? Like, mm-hmm. is this something you've struggled with? And all they can do is just kind of nod, you know, yeah. they just don't even want to look at me, you know, and that's the beginning of their journey of their sharing journey. Yeah. Your, your openness, uh, to share, uh, freed other people. Uh, Jeremy, we're going to go to you next in just a minute, uh, with, with this whole topic of shame and guilt. Uh, but somebody in, in the chat, I just want to clarify, somebody mentioned, um, church hurt. And so I'm not sure what, what that means in the context, but maybe you want to clarify that in the chat and, uh, we'll do our best to be able to answer that question. Uh, so Jeremy, um, people that are struggling with, with shame, with guilt, um, what would you say to them? Yeah. I, and if I can anticipate a little bit of the church hurt stuff is that sometimes in the church world, we put shame onto people uh, around these types of right. things by, um, you know, as, you know, pastoral leaders making it seem like, oh, if this is at all your issue, um, then you're not worthy of uh, of grace. That you're not worthy of hope or freedom. That this that you're uh, completely broken beyond measure. Uh, if this is your thing, and so making space for people to wrestle with the things that are trapping them and enslaving them, I think is is absolutely critical because yeah. as we're sharing, you know, shame. So we just we just put uh, shame and guilt in the same sentence, and I and I don't want to conflate the two because I think. Uh, as we mentioned on Sunday, there is a place for guilt. Like when you come face to face with uh, the things that you are recognizing you've been enslaved to, things that you wish you could move past, things that you could wish you could break free from, um, there's an element for sure of guilt that wells up inside of you. Now, that guilt isn't necessarily wrong. It's what happens to that guilt that ends up being the issue. And so, you know, as we mentioned the devil, uh, this darkness, uh, you know, other people will take that kind of guilt and will push it into either the shame category or the denial category where you will just give up and say, it's not even worth thinking about. I'm just in denial that it's an issue. Mm-hmm. Or more often, I'm so embarrassed by this thing that I'm feeling guilty about. I would never, ever bring it up or I never want anybody to think or realize that this is an issue of mine. Whereas the gospel, uh, and this is the great news about our faith, is that the gospel is actually taking that guilt and allowing you to become free of it, that Jesus came to die for our sins. And what that means has actually like tangible impact in how you live out your life day to day and what you're enslaved to, that his, the freedom that comes from the price he paid on the cross actually re- can release you from 
that thing that you're trapped to. And so that's where we want to preach freedom. That's where we want to preach hope. That's where we want to preach salvation and, and allow people to experience that. Now that doesn't mean that you may not still experience the temptation and the struggle. You might still be in that, but that your response in the midst of all of that is actually to turn back to Christ again and again and again, as that song we sang referenced, because in that action of bringing the lightness into the darkness, you can find freedom from that. And then you're no longer enslaved to this thing that you've been enslaved to and been frustrated by. And so shame will keep you from the gospel for sure. So we want to dispel the shame. We want to make it okay to talk about these things because we are all broken sinners. Mm -hmm. As Dorothy who's on our staff team and leads Celebrate Recovery. Uh, she preached the message, and, and what, she's, like, she talks about us. We're all, we're all rotten. Uh, what did she say? Scumbags. We're all scumbags. scumbags we're all scumbags. Yep. I'm a scumbag. Pat's a scumbag. We're all scumbags. <laughs> and, and, and the truth is, yeah. is that if you can actually realize that's the case, that we're yeah. not, not perfect, yeah. but that we're allowed to pursue Christ and experience the pursuit of perfection, because yes. he is perfection, Uh, that that is something that is dramatically changing for our lives. That is so good. And I think that, again, maybe on this Sorry, that's like like the next (laughs) message. I've got a couple more. We can just do a few different messages here tonight. That's no problem. We'll see if people will stay tuned in. But um, (laughs) here's the deal. When it comes to church hurt, Jeremy, I think that sometimes uh, for, you know, maybe those of us that have been in church a long time, uh, sometimes we can kind of get this this self-righteousness mentality, Mm -hmm. right? And the reality is, is we're all flawed. You know what? There's areas in my life that I don't see clearly. Mm-hmm. And whether we're Christian or not a Christian, um, it's, it's just being aware of saying, you know what? I'm in need of a savior. Mm-hmm. I, I, I can't do this on my own. And I think that that's where that comes to that addiction part where we, we tend to, and I, I think that all of you guys could speak to this so clearly but we believe this lie that, that we can figure it out on our own, right? Or yeah. I'm controlling it, mm-hmm. right? I've got control over it until we don't, mm-hmm. right? Um, so maybe, Elaine, maybe you, you want to speak to that as, as a social worker. You probably see people uh, come to you that, that maybe they're, they've realized that, hey, wait a minute, I need some help with this. What's the question? <laughs> have, you, have you seen, uh, yeah, that's fair. Have you seen people where they come to you uh, where mm-hmm. they're in that state where they're saying, you know what, I need help. Mm-hmm. And, and realizing that that's the state that they are in. And, and again, some of us try to pretend like we can do it on our own, uh, but mm-hmm. we do reach that point where we need help. And is that where you guys step in and help them? Um, through recovery, through programs, um, so that they can they can regain, uh, you know, gain some sense of freedom from that addiction? Is that where you meet them at? Well, exactly. I like to meet people wherever they are and where they're at, not where I think they should be or where other people think they should be. Um, so, and really a person has to be ready to want help right. and ready to want change. Mm. And it can be really hard when you're walking with someone to um, be beside them um, and you just want to tell them the answer or fix it for them. But they're the ones that have to want to do it and want the change. And um, sometimes they just 
need someone to hear their story. And then once they can say it, then they're ready mm-hmm. for change. They, I've had people ask me, I just need you to listen, or I just, I just need you to be a witness to my story. And then um, that validation of their experience um, can be very empowering. And then they can be ready to, to do different. Yeah. Yeah, that's so good. So as we sort of begin to, uh, you know, conclude our conversation today, um, let's talk a little bit about um, this idea of, of uh, purity. And you know what, in, in culture, that doesn't sound, you know, very sexy, right? But what are the benefits of living the way that God has designed things, of not giving in to, to all of uh, the temptations, the appetites that we have, okay, I want to know, like, well, what is this like a series wrap-up question? Like, this is a big. Let's tie a bow on the whole thing. <laughs> well, we're we just want to we want to respect people's time. We've got okay, twelve okay. minutes, um, and so we should I in respecting know, people's time. Sorry to interrupt. Um, we do have the couple comments. They clarify church hurt going to churches that shame, gossip. You know, look down on what she's wearing. Um, you know, that your sinner lifestyle is it, actually Sam. This is brilliant. Church hurt is when your Christian family has the idea that your sinner, your lifestyle is a sign of unrepentance. Uh, well, all you want to do is go worship God with your family. That's impressive because, you know, just yeah. because you might be wearing your sin, it may not be actually the sign of unrepentance mm. that you're actually in the process of repentance. Um, uh, so I, I, I appreciate that. And the only thing I would say is having been, not that I'm a, um, on the pastoral staff at this church, um, but having been in pastoral staffs, the challenge is, is that our churches are so messy because they're made up of hundreds of messy sinning, sinning people. I'm one of them. Mm-hmm. And so as much as we want this to be a place where people aren't hurt by the church and the church's people, yeah. Um, the truth is, is that I, when COVID's done and you pop in here on a Sunday, there might be somebody who would give you the stank eye for whatever you're wearing. Uh, and, and we couldn't necessarily control that. They may not even be a part of this church. They might've just walked in on sure. their first Sunday and they're like, yeah. give you the stank eye for whatever you might be wearing. So all that to say, uh, that's church church. Thanks for the comments. They were great. Yep. So good. So what are some of the benefits, right? Benefits How can we, you know, culture tells us, you know, do what feels good, do what you want. All right. Um, and, you know, the gospel tells us to uh, not give in to all the appetites, all the Big Macs, everything that we want to do. <laughs> yeah. Why? What are the benefits of it? And, and Mireille, we're going to toss to you uh, first. What, what are some of the things that you have experienced in your life? Why are you so passionate um, for, uh, you know, for people and, and, and sharing uh, the hope of the gospel to them? Well, you know, it might not sound sexy, but I think people need to ask themselves, like, is that what I want to prioritize my whole life on? Like, do, is that what I want my life purpose to be, to be sexy? Or do I want peace of mind? Do I want a clear conscience? Do I want a healthy relationship with God, with others, with myself? Um, I think this whole thing of sexiness is all just from movies. Um, because, you know, movies don't show what... <laughs> sex can actually be like it's not this like butterfly thing all the time it doesn't talk about you know when there's issues in the relationship like it's it will show this like they went on a date and everything was so perfect and oh it was so romantic and it's like it's not realistic like that's that's not even like like healthy sex isn't even that like when when you just have sex and, and you just use the person to make yourself feel better about yourself. Like, and so I think, you know, what's your priority? And when it comes to experiencing God's love and experiencing healthy 
relationship with yourself and, and not, you know, being in denial of things, but actually wondering, you know, like, why do I want, why do I feel the need to be sexy? Why do I feel like I need to be validated by society? Why do I feel like I'm, my emotions are so reliant on what I look, you know, what people's reactions of how I look like. And so I think if people, I think that's what, that's the benefit, like a peace of mind and a restore relationship with God, with others and with yourself. Like you, you learn to love yourself and have peace with yourself. You know, if someone looks at me and they don't like what I'm wearing, well, they don't have to wear it and they don't have to be around me. Like you don't have to be yeah. in the room with me. Yeah. So Before, good. when I used to be like really insecure and struggling, it was like, oh my gosh, like, are they, what are they going to think of this? Oh my gosh, I, am I supposed to wear this as a Christian? Like, yeah. uh, you know, leggings, you know, that was such a huge thing, leggings. Well, then now it's like, if you don't like my leggings, well, stop looking at me, you know, and having... <laughs> a peace of mind and, and a healthy relationship yeah. with yourself. How do you talk to yourself and treat yourself? And that's what purity will bring. Sure. And not just to do it because you feel like you need to do it as a Christian, but really working on yourself and finding out why you feel the need to, to be sexy or yeah. to, to follow all of these societal standards, which are so unrealistic. We yeah. know pictures are Photoshopped. You know, we know like everyone has ring lights and their makeup and their lighting and pictures like it's irrealistic. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Love yourself. Love yourself. Elena, what would you say that your experience has been? What are the benefits of of, you know, living this this Christian life? What are the upsides that that you would want to communicate? I think that society tells us so many lies and just to make us sick and make us not enjoy life. And when you really uh, discover what God's love is and what truth is and what you can really experience, what freedom is um, and a really sense of peace. And when people are searching for happiness and peace, there is just a um, a sense of, of confidence and relax. Mm-hmm. If there's a, if there's a word I can, can put in there yeah. and, and strength and trust and uh, less worry, less anxiety. Yeah, that's so good. So good. There are two things, so Pat, I do want to say, because um, since we're short on time, the conversation has been so interesting. <laughs> um, there has been another, I do have another resource. I don't know if this is, if you can, oh, it's backwards, of course. So it's called Secret Habit, a safe place uh, for people who are affected affected by pornography. And the um, this is an agency out of Halifax, okay. um, opendoorcenter.com backslash secret habit. And um, it's actually a couple um, and uh, a, a really excellent resource for people who are struggling with pornography. And um, even during COVID now, they're available by phone or by Skype. So even though they're in Halifax, um, you could access their services uh, from here in New Brunswick. And I really liked the idea you mentioned about spending time with your children and talking to them uh, about your values. And many different children that I have talked with, one of the most special times um, that they can tell me is when their parents created space for them to have alone time with them, Mm -hmm. whether it just be like go for a walk, go to the store and get an ice cream. And with a busy house, a busy life and all the other children in the home, they can remember the times that their parents made that 
um, time alone for them and that quality of relationship. And I think that will keep, um, if you can build that in and do it routinely and help strengthen that communication and trust between um, parents and children and starting at a very young age, that will allow you to have those difficult conversations and and build the trust with your children. Yeah, that's that's perfect. And Jeremy, I know you referenced uh, a book in your message uh, for parents, I believe. Do you do you have the title? Yeah, good good pictures, that? bad pictures. Uh, we have the junior mm. version, good pictures, bad pictures, junior. Uh, we also read. I think it's called God Made All of Me, another kid uh, reference book. But but uh, you know, for for parents, the the goal here is not to have the sex talk. The goal is to start a conversation. Yeah. Uh, and to ask great questions along the way. So you want to articulate truth for sure. But you also want to be able to ask really thoughtful, forward questions that just normalize a conversation about some of these hard topics. Because I think for a lot of us, if you, you know, growing up, you know, your experience was that this was a taboo subject, uh, then trying to wade into it, it's like a little bit confusing. So you might need some of these kinds of like books or resources to spark it. That's that's the right thing. Um, but then to they make this a normal topic of conversation mm-hmm. because it should be to be upfront and forward about yeah. it. And, and so you got to figure out whether the right questions, where what the ages are of your kids and how to have the right topic of conversation. But yeah. I would often uh, try to talk about, um, especially as your kids get older or if you're dealing with like your roommates or you're looking for accountability, even amongst your peers and you're having conversations, um, we need to talk about a really clear outcomes and uh, and specifics, not in generalities. This is a conversation that's too easy to get lost in the generalities. And so you need to say things like, hey, when was the last time that you watched porn and what kind of porn was it? If you're talking to your 18-year-old yeah. or your 17-year-old yeah. or your, your spouse or whoever it might be and allow that to, to, to you know, lead to some probably really intriguing conversation. Absolutely. And again, yeah, just talking to our kids, asking them those questions. I mean, my daughter's seven years old and I'll ask her, you know, what do you guys, what do you guys do at break time? What do you guys talk about? You know, is there anything ever inappropriate that, that comes up in conversations, you know, and, and it's so fun just to hear just them be able to say, yeah, actually there was something inappropriate. Yeah. And what you'll learn from some of those, some of these books is too, is like questions like, Hey, has anybody uh, made you feel awkward lately? Or has somebody ever made you feel uncomfortable today? Uh, was there something today that maybe hurt your heart a little bit? Like some of these types of leading prompting questions mm-hmm. uh, help people orient themselves around some of their emotions and their experiences so that they be, can begin to unpack it. And I mean, find uh, <laughs> find somebody that's a social worker because Elaine, I'm sure, has been through a thousand of these types of conversations and knows how to help people parse out a little bit of what yep. they're processing. Yep. And so make friends with a social worker might be the best thing yep. in the midst of it can all. Can I add something before we uh, finish Please, up? please. Um, I think out of anything I could share, um, this is from experience, like at CR and university people coming to me. Um, one thing that I tell people is share your secrets. Um, but another thing I tell people is stop trying to control your addiction. Like, like this obsessive, like, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. Like, I'm just going to keep my head down and like, like, because that, that's not healing. That's just trying to, you know, discipline, but. Focus on what causes you to escape. Like Mm -hmm. our society does everything it can to avoid any kind of pain. And so that's why we're so prone to different kinds of addictions, especially the ones that are secret. And so what's causing you? What is it yourself 
that you don't like? Yeah. You know, do you do you feel not good enough? I think especially among men that I've seen that struggle with pornography is they feel really stupid. They really feel like crap about themselves. And then because they watch pornography, they feel even more stupid. They're like, mm-hmm. wow, I just did it again. I'm so stupid. There's no point in me even trying. And so instead of, you know, being like this whole, I'm going to control this addiction. I'm going to, I can control this. It's, you know, what is it in me that I, that I hate? Like yeah. self-resentment and self-hatred is the most toxic things for addiction because they will feed it. Yeah. It's the devil. If, if the devil can sit down and watch you do his work, watch you talk bad about yourself, watch you say horrible things about yourself, and he can just sit down and watch you feed your addiction. Yeah. But if, if you correct the things that he's trying to convince you to, to believe, if you say, no, I have value, like God doesn't create garbage. God is a very intellectual being. He created me. And so if the very God has created the whole universe, created me, then that must mean I have value and I have something to bring on this earth. Yeah. And so it's correcting this self-hatred and these things about ourselves, like either not feeling good enough or feeling like failure, feeling like a, a bother. And so that I always tell people, I'm like, if you want to quit this addiction, you just stop calling yourself stupid. Yeah. You know, someone will come to me like, oh, I really want to overcome this addiction. I'm like, well, you've mm-hmm. called yourself, yourself stupid five times since mm-hmm. we've sat down, you yeah. know, so. It's a, it's a mindset it's a mindset, and uh, you know we covered that on on week one when it comes to identity. Um, so much that we can always uh, be learning. Uh, Jeremy, any final thoughts that you uh, want to leave us with um, as we wrap up this conversation? Nope. All right. Well, he said it all. I don't know, Jeremy. I don't know if I've ever uh, seen you one time turn down an opportunity to share. Uh, but Elena, thanks so much for, for taking some time and, and joining in on this conversation uh, tonight. Mireille, always a privilege. So good. And we want to just thank you guys for uh, tuning in and listening tonight, uh, dropping some questions, and just being a part of this these last six weeks. Some of you guys have been on this journey uh, together. Hey, do we do this again so, next week? Is this a thing next week? This is not. This is the, this is the, the end, end of this of Wednesday night hangout. Six habits of, <laughs> of healthy people. And so I'm sure that we will do another uh, edition as we do some other series is coming up, Jeremy. Uh, but maybe that's an opportunity for you guys to put that in the chat. Let us know if this was helpful. How did it help you? We love to hear these stories. You know what? We've been getting uh, some emails and messages from people that have appreciated these conversations over the last few weeks. Thanks for our tech team. They've been here slugging it out. They're incredible. Making this happen. And our online host, Tim, tonight. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, So uh, if you're just uh, tuning in or catching the end of it, you can check out our podcast. Uh, That will be loaded shortly. Um, So thanks for tuning in. Have a great night. See you guys. Good night, everyone.